I couldn't find my tumbler, so I have to drink my whiskey out of a wine glass. So you don't have any questions about the film? The cast doesn't matter. It's This is the Zack Snyder cut. Because the series annoys me to no end. Oh! It totally is better than the theatrical cut. Yeah. And I and my response is, okay, that means it might be a two-star film. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Max and Jason Watch a Movie. I'm Jason. And I'm Max. And today we will be covering Wes Anderson's The Royal Tenenbaums, all the way back from 2001, starring Gene Hackman as Royal, Angelica Houston as Ethelene, Ben Stiller as Chaz, Gwyneth Paltrow as Margot, Luke Wilson as Richie, Owen Wilson as Eli Cash, and Bill Murray as Raleigh St. Clair, Danny Glover as Henry Sherman, and a suite of character actors that probably don't need to be mentioned here. Alec Baldwin does grand duty as the the voice of the, the as our narrator. He, and he's very proud of it, by the way. Well, he should be. He is. He does a phenomenal job of narrating us through this. The writers of this film were Wes Anderson and Owen Wilson. Trivia, a little trivia before we get on to the film. The person who plays Pagoda, Kumar pa- Palana, is an ancient friend of Wes Anderson. He used to either own or work at the coffee shop that Wes Anderson always frequented uh, when oh, he wow. uh, when he was at a, a student in Texas. And, uh, and so ever since then, they, they became friends and he puts him in all of his movies. Oh, that's great. Um, I think this is the third Wes Anderson film. So first film he made was Bottle Rocket, starring Luke Wilson, Owen Wilson, and I can't remember who else. And then there was Rush, Rushmore, starring yeah. Bill Murray, which uh, I think garnered Murray his first Oscar nomination. Okay. And, uh, and then this is his third film. And a lot of people in this movie refrained from taking parts in other films. Three actors in this movie were actually slated to be in one of the Oceans movies. Uh, Owen Wilson, Danny Glover, and oh, I can't remember what other actor turned down roles in Oceans to be in this Wes Anderson film. No kidding. Nope. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. So so there's that. I don't have a whole lot of uh, production notes. This is a very, this is Wes Anderson really starting to find his visual style though, isn't it? Oh, no doubt. And and um, he, he definitely has a very unique style. Uh, I, I did do some reading on it and uh, and there, there are more than a few directors who, I don't know if they figured out how to classify the style yet. Yeah. I, I, I did find the term American American eccentric. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah. Um, these films that are the description that I read is that they are a rebellion against you know kind of the the digital age of of movie making. This is kind of traditional movie making, but these but but this movie is populated with characters who are dysfunctional, unique, engage in bizarre relationships and and connections with other people. Yes. And and, and I would also I I think it's obvious to anybody that watches it that that the the visual style. The, the 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 shots the the close-ups the uh the music every everything about it is very much a unique i think very much unique to to him i think so i think so and he's just gotten better at this style with each film i noticed but but this seemed to be really where he found his his uh gosh his just his visual stamp in a way that i think is fairly unique i mean i, I don't i can't look at many other filmmakers and say just on visuals alone oh that's that's martin scorsese i guess the closest thing i could come to is maybe Zack Snyder actually who is like uh, who who I know right away I can almost see oh he's bleached all the color out of the scene oh, <laughs> dark and moody oh here's some pointless slow motion um, 
everyone is ridiculously fit. Uh, that I can tell a Zack Snyder picture, I guess. Um, but but Wes Anderson, you can tell with just the visuals alone, and it it looks to me when I watch a Wes Anderson film like it's very effortless. But you, I, I get the sense that with the symmetry and the use of color, I have to imagine that all of this effortlessness is actually incredibly planned. I I, I did read that. In fact, I mean, even about the music, that this was this was all very meticulously done. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm not surprised. Um, because I know some of the backstory. I know that Gene Hackman, this was going to be one of his last pictures, and he took the role because he thought it was going to be kind of an easy thing for him to do. And the the rigors of production really frustrated Hackman, I guess, in this yeah. film. And he, and I guess he took it out a bit on Wes Anderson, so much so that other members of the cast decided to step in and, and tell Hackman to calm down. I know Bill Murray steps in, Angelica Houston steps in, Danny Glover steps in, and these are all people who are who know Hackman a little bit and have the weight to throw around back at him and say, hey, you know, right. I'm fucked down, guy. But uh, I think, yeah. So anyway, uh, it's all very effortless. You said American eccentric, uh, eccentrism, which I, I yeah. like that. I like that. And the other thing, too, that I've been thinking about, I've been thinking about this film. I've been thinking about Moonrise Kingdom, which we're, we haven't done. Uh, maybe we'll do at some point. But I definitely think everybody should watch Steve Zissou. Uh, that's another great one to see by Wes Anderson. Yeah. Uh, the Bo the Grand Budapest Hotel. Uh, all of this, all these films are by Anderson. I was thinking about them today. They almost look like fairly well-produced grade school plays in some ways <laughs> don't they yeah yeah you know, i mean the colors the the acting is almost sub is is incredibly subdued I, watching one of these films you walk away from them i think and you think none of this should work it's 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 very silly it's very uh, eccentric as you said but there's a lot of drama in these movies and there's a lot of comedy i mean this, oh, this yes this is this is when, when i when i suggested this last week i had not seen it in a few years and i I remembered the comedy, but I didn't remember all the drama. And this is very much what people sometimes refer to as a dramedy. Yeah. Well, I mean, this this movie actually, you know, just in kind of reading about what he was inspired by, the, the screenplay that he wrote, the whole point of this film, he was very much inspired by other works of art, both works of literature mm -hmm. and older films. I I, I did read that that uh, Orson Welles, uh, the Magnificent Ambersons, uh, and not only the film, but maybe even the novel, because it was originally a novel. Was that the Salinger um, novel? Pardon? Was that the Salinger novel? No, um, but you're quite right. J.D. Salinger, um, I think uh, Franny and Zoe was the Salinger novel that that, uh, that that he drew on quite a bit. Magnificent Ambersons is actually a, a novel of, um, about the Gilded Age in Indiana. And um, it's it's one of like two novels from that came out of our home state that are yeah, yeah. considered great novels. Sidebar. For those of you who haven't noticed or caught on, uh, Jason and I have an origin story that begins in the flatlands of Indiana. We are Hoosiers, as they say. So into the sidebar. And and they're about and it's about a family. Okay. The magnificent the magnificent Ambersons. I've actually I have seen the movie once, uh, but it's been a long time. I I don't remember much about it. But but Anderson definitely was was wanting to make a comedy mixed with drama about real people and uh, and dysfunctional people. Yes, yes. Um, but um, definitely definitely wanted to create something that was um, I don't know. It's almost highbrow in a yes, mysterious yes. way. Well, it's it it comes across almost like like literally. 
literature. Yeah, yeah. Um, and part of that is the uh, the fact that each chapter of the film we get like a little clip from a we get we get a folk we get like a still not a still but like a frame on the opening lines of a book about the Tenenbaums. Well, and I guess we should start off with the very first scene in the movie is somebody checking out a book called yeah. The Royal Tenenbaums from a library with the old library stamp. Yes, yes. Which, which uh, I know, having worked in a library in the late '90s, that even in 2001, yes. that would have been a very dated well, uh, thing. Yeah. Well, well, the whole motif of the film is the 1970s. Right. Yeah, yeah. And so all of the all of the fashions in the film are from the 1970s. The Green Line bus of New York, I guess, and the uh, Gypsy Cab are all creatures of New York's 1970s. Wes Anderson did a lot of his location shooting in New York, and yep. he went out of his way to avoid ever filming a single skyscraper. In fact, there's a scene in which, this is so funny, the Statue of Liberty would have been in the shot, but he had his uh, his friend uh, Kumar P uh, Palana, the guy who plays Pagoda, he has him stand in front of the, the Statue of Liberty, so he obscures the Statue of Liberty in the scene. Because I think he wants to kind of show these people, at least this is what I've read, he, he, he wants to have these people stuck at a place in time themselves. They're all kind of, the whole family is, the, I think the premise of the story is this, this whole family is stuck yes. in a single place. Oh, definitely, yeah. And, and he wants to reflect that not only in the acting, but also in the way they all seem to be trapped in a single decade. Yeah, and so um, the whole concept of the film is, uh, I, I, I guess the way that I kind of saw it is that, you know, we have checked out this book called yes. The Royal Tenenbaums, and we are going to read slash watch the story unfold for us. And the film is divided into different parts yes. in which we see the... Um, we don't see the, the fall of the family. This film, I, I think, is actually of the rise and fall and rise. Yeah. Because in the first part of the film, in flashback, we learn about the rise of the family and and, and um, how the children, when they're young, they're all prodigies. Yes. They all have these bright futures ahead of them. And the, the rise and fall of the family is told very quickly. It's all in flashback and it's all in this, this prologue. Uh, um, which is part one, yeah. the Royal Tenenbaums. And, um, but the film itself is really about the rise of yeah. them. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, to so, so to speak. So to speak. Uh, because, yeah, you're right. At the beginning of the film, we meet Chaz, Margot, and uh, Richie as as young people, right? Yeah. And we learn that that Chaz is already a financial wizard at, I can't remember, some young age. And Margot is a playwright, a budding playwright. She's gotten plays, she's put on plays at, you know, before she's even gotten to high school. And then she won some major award in the ninth grade. We learned that. And Richie is a tennis prodigy. Yeah. Right? And uh, they'll achieve some measure of success very early in life. We get that. We also see uh, a bit of their neuroses. Yes. Um, there is the scene because um, I guess that we do um, it's Richie who we discover through the course of the film is in love with his adopted sister, Margot, who you mentioned. But Margot, I, I guess you didn't mention that Margot is adopted. Yeah, yeah. Which which she will be reminded of frequently, but uh, there is the scene where um, uh, because because Richie is also a budding artist, yes, and and his mother is is adjusting his latest artwork in the family living room, and we discover that all of his works of art are basically renderings of Margot, and 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 as his mother is uh, Angelica, played by Angelica Houston, is putting one of his paintings up. Alec Baldwin pipes up with, "He never developed as a painter." <laughs> 
because <laughs> they're all they're all portraits of his sister Margot. And there's a there's a really great moment when she's got her first play produced, and everybody, all the all the kids in the family want some acknowledgement that what they've done is good from yes. from Royal. Yes. And Royal seems, with the exception of maybe with Richie, right? He seems unable to give that to any of them. Like when yes. she's like, "What did you think, Dad?" And he's like, "Well, I didn't like it." Yeah. <laughs> you know, he says of her play, he's like, "Well, I didn't seem." Chaz wants her. Actually, Chaz is the one who's fishing for compliments for Margot. Chaz is yeah. will eventually be, go on to be played by Ben Stiller. I said, "What do you think of it, Dad?" And he's like, "Well, I don't know. It didn't seem believable to me." You know, and it's, it's written by his nine-year-old daughter. Yeah, and then and then she she protests a bit, and he's or, or she's very offended, and he says, "Well, sweetheart, it's only one man's opinion." Exactly. And, then, and then it's revealed that it's her birthday party. Yes, <laughs> and he can't, and he just can't bring himself to say a nice fatherly thing about the the uh, her work. And so when she storms out of there and she's upset, at some point things go wrong for Royal and the family. He is asked to leave. Do you remember how they lead into that in the in the narrative? Yeah, that uh, um <laughs> There's uh, this this lovely scene where uh, the kids are at one end of the table and Royals at the other end of the table and he's a little <laughs> bit younger here and, and they ask him you know are are, are you and mom splitting or, or um, mom getting a divorce yeah are you and mom getting a divorce and and he's like well no we're not doing that right now but it doesn't look good. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, and uh, and we see some of their neuroses play out in these scenes too. You know, uh, I can't remember her Margot's being adopted comes up again at this at this moment. I think yes. We also learn that a little bit. We get hints that that Chaz and Margot are annoyed that the only person who Royal takes to his mother's grave is Richie. Right. But anyway, he gets a divorce and they they uh, they split. Which and um, there's also a scene uh, where they're having a, a BB gun fight. Oh, yes, yes, yes. And uh, um, and and in theory, Chaz and uh, Royal is on Chaz's team, and he ends up shooting him, leaving a BB uh, in his knuckle. But uh, Chaz uh, complains to him, "You're on my team," and Royal says, "There are no teams." <laughs> Um, absolutely. So that, and the, yeah, and the BB is lodged in his hand into adulthood. By the way, there is a scene where we get to see that BB moving around in uh, yes. Jazz's knuckle. Do you know how they did that? No, it wasn't. It wasn't Ben Stiller's hands. It was one of the Wilson brothers' hands because Luke Wilson actually did do that to his brother, not Owen, but I think his name is Anthony Owen. Okay. So when they're showing that BB move around in the knuckle, it's actually one of the Wilson brothers' hands. <laughs> That that's they, great. They, they use for that scene. But so this is giving you an idea of who Royal is. Well, yeah, a, a bit of an artistic statement here. Um, I'll say right up, just right away. I love the music in this movie. Oh, it's it's uh, great. The, the the music in this movie uh, was um, the, the incidental music or the cues were composed by Mark Mothersbaugh. Okay. From the band Devo. Okay. Uh, uh, Mark Mothersbaugh also did the uh, score for Thor Ragnarok. Okay. Okay. His his uh, his music cues in this movie are absolutely fantastic. But in this scene, in this prologue scene, we have an instrumental version of "Hey Jude" yes, by the yes. Beatles. Now, I think that this is this is intended. "Hey Jude" was a song that Paul McCartney wrote for the son of John Lennon, Julian Lennon, okay. when Paul discovered that John and his first wife, Julian's mother, were going to divorce. And so Paul came up with the song. It was originally "Hey Julian" or "Hey." 
Jules. Yeah. He changed it to Jude. But the whole point of the song was to comfort a child whose family has dissolved. Okay. And um, I think that the choice of that song in instrumental form is not an accident. Here. Oh, I'm sure that it's not. The film is too many. The film is too meticulously planned for it not to be. You know, right. Uh, right. An intentional move that only a few people will get. No. The absolute significance. Most of the people like me will be like, oh, that's a that's a pleasant song to have in this right. moment. All right. Now, the question though is, like, do these kids need to be comforted during this moment? Like, they all try to act indifferent to it in some ways. They are Parker especially. They are very emotionally stunted. Yeah. Uh, and and we see that in in this prologue. We see that as children. <laughs> When we leap forward in time, we discover that nothing has changed. Nothing's changed. Despite the fact that that uh, Ellie, uh, Ethelene Tenenbaum has really tried hard. She's worked very hard and she gets credit from it later in the film yeah. in Royal because she she knows her children are very talented and she does everything in her power to kind of foster that. Yeah, so after after Royal leaves, the, the mother becomes an archaeologist and she takes them all around and, and teaches them and makes their education like the, the primary concern in her life strangely this is a semi-autobiographical you you heard you read this too yeah because i guess wes anderson's mother also became an archaeologist after his parents divorce which i thought was kind of funny to the point that that uh angelica houston asked him at one point are you trying to make me your mother <laughs> yeah well she she becomes very defensive of him later on so yeah uh, uh so against the 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 depredations of an angry gene hackman but she tries her best and when we meet them later on before we meet them we we hear that they their lives are a bit of a tragedy from Alec Baldwin, the narrator. And I can't remember what his what he says about that. He says something like the tragedy was maybe because of their brilliance or something. I can't remember what he says exactly. Do you remember? I, I don't remember the exact line, but I mean, we do discover that um, that... <sighs> The great promise of their youth, none of it, none of it lands. No. They, you know, they never end up being, Margot never becomes the great playwright. Richie is a great tennis player, but he has a famous, uh, a famous meltdown that basically ends his career. Yeah. And, uh, and then we discover that um, Chaz is a, is a widower. Yeah. And had, um, because his wife dies in a plane crash. Yes. And the, uh, their two boys and their dog. Yes. Uh, survived the crash and his wife does not. And and Chaz kind of, I guess we get the sense that he kind of checks out. He does. Well, he's probably the only one of the three that was successful after he left. He seems to have a, a thriving a financial firm. Yeah. But the tragedy of his the death of his wife certainly damages him and sort of uh, creates this very worried, neurotic father, you know? Yeah, well, I'm, I, mean, I mean, he's basically a man who lives with chronic anxiety. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, he he he's constantly worried about the next disaster that will afflict his family in which they'll all die yeah and uh, i mean the first moment we meet Chaz, he's doing fire drills and yeah. and which uh, they which they fail which they fail we're all dead we're burned well, to a crisp well, I, I don't know if they failed he thinks they failed yeah yeah it looked yeah. to me like they all got out pretty quickly right right you know, and i know uh, one of the kids is like well we didn't get we didn't get the dog it like, doesn't matter we're all dead we're, we're all burned to the crisp yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's the it's that fire drill that makes him he's the first one of the family to return home. Yes. And he he does this before the bad news the family will get. <laughs> So we, so we see him having a nervous breakdown. We meet Richie. He's 
he's still rebounding from his his the conflagration of his tennis career. He's on a boat just traveling around the world. If you want to call that a rebound, I mean, it's more of a running away. Running away from that, yeah, yeah. He's just sent a letter to... Eli Cash. Eli Cash, uh, who's a friend of theirs who hung out around the family all the time. Yeah, uh, and was and was a favorite of their mother. He was almost like a, another sibling. Exactly. Although, although Royal was oblivious to this. But... Well, we'll find out that Royal is oblivious to a lot of things. Um, <laughs> uh, so he's a mess. He sent a letter to Eli con- confessing that he's in love with Margot, who, we, who I don't know if we know that that's his sister yet. Maybe we do. I can't remember. But no, I mean, in, in the prologue that's laid out. Oh, is it? Okay, okay, yeah. So yeah. So sorry, he, he, he admits to being in love with Margot. Then we meet Margot and she is in a funk of her own for no reason that we can easily discern uh, right. other than other than the childhood. Right. You know, um, which is reason enough. And she's hanging out in her bathroom, not coming out. She's having secret cigarettes. She's hidden her cigarette smoking for 22 years of her life. Right. right. And she has a lot of secrets that nobody cares about. <laughs> Um, But she's married to a brilliant psychologist who is, you know, on the cusp of discovering and describing a brand new illness. Raleigh St. Clair. Played by Bill Murray, who who does a lot of good work here. And he's got a very small role, but he really does give his, he really does give the performance what it needs, I think. Yes. Oh, oh, totally. And so, so anyway, so we meet the kids as as older people and they're all, they're all the messes that we, the audience, realized they were going to be from that opening prologue, right? (laughs) Right, right. I think Raleigh goes to to Ethelene to get help for talk to talk to his daughter to talk to his wife Margot because he can't can't talk to her. She won't talk to him. She stays in the bathroom. And when when Ethelene arrives, Margot's still in the tub, uh, tapping her her fingers on the on the uh, bathtub. One of, which is- <laughs> One of the fingers is missing, and it's uh, it's made of wood, and it's making this really loud racket on the tub. When Ethelene meets her, she's watching this watching some show on a portable television that's perched over the bathtub. Which is not a good idea. No, no. And Ethelene says, you know, you're, you're supposed to be a genius. This doesn't, this isn't safe, honey. And she's like, well, I tied it to the radiator. <laughs> <laughs> And I wonder if in this scene we're not supposed to to imagine that she wouldn't care that much if the if 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 it fell in and killed her. I I, I think all of the kids have this is where they all are at this at this point in their lives. Yes, yes. Their lives are just one big disappointment. Yes, um, I think that that's absolutely right. And it's this conversation that uh, well maybe Ethelene went over to talk to I can't remember. Does she go to to, to Margot to, to complain a little bit about Richie uh, not Richie but Chaz moving back in and 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 she says well Chaz moved back in and and Margo's like he can just do that and she was like well he didn't ask me he just moved in and Margo just decides well I'm gonna move back home too is what she decides to do and poor Raleigh St. Clair he's trying to do the right thing by his wife he's trying to be supportive of her you know but he is upset too he's worried that she doesn't love him anymore but he helps her take the stuff out to the car and and she's like well I just need he's like do you still love me anymore and he's like I don't know I think so maybe is what she says <laughs> and uh, I think we just need a little time apart and there's a nice moment where Raleigh looks like he might make a bit of a scene, but then he just kind of gives up. It's nothing that, it's not really very bold, but he he stands in front of the car and it looks like he might be getting ready to do something dramatic. Yeah, yeah. But then he does a Bill Murray sigh and he just kind of tosses the last of her luggage in through the open window of the the decrepit gypsy cab. (laughs) 
Um, I don't know what the gag is here, what 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 Wes Anderson was going for here, but the gypsy cab is I would not want to get in any gypsy cab that we see in this movie. They are <laughs> right. They look like they're held together with duct tape and twine, you know, and, and maybe haven't been cleaned out since 1971. Yeah. Uh, so she leaves, and uh and it's during one of these scenes where Angelica Houston's Esseline is interacting with her accountant. Henry Sherman. Henry Sherman. Who encourages her to he tells her that she needs to file for divorce from her husband for tax purposes because it, they've been they've been together and uh she never she never divorced him and then he suddenly will you marry me yes yes and he, t- he tells her that he loves her and she says this this isn't really a tax issue is it <laughs> no and he, he has a kind of acute reaction he's like no it's not i don't know why i led it in that way with this but but she's quite taken with henry sherman play, uh played by danny glover well, she needs some time she does need some time but she likes him she does should we do yeah. And while he's telling her all this, their I guess their their living house guy or whatever is sitting. We don't know what pagoda, we don't know what pagoda does. He does what pagoda does yeah. with his family. He's a jack of all trades, I think, is what we. He does something for the family, or he just lives with them. We, I mean, I don't know. He just lives with them, and yeah. uh, the whole time he's listening to the conversation, right? Yeah. And then when when he says, "Will you marry me?" Uh, when I'm sorry, when Danny Glover says, "Will you marry me?" to Ethelene after they finish their conversation, pagoda is up and gone. Yeah, and he goes to report to Royal that Sherman just asked Ethelene to marry him and that sets off the drama of the movie and I don't I don't know what you know when when this scheme starts out I get the sense that Royal just doesn't want her to move on right he's, he's not necessarily that he wants to move back in with her long term he just doesn't want her to get married to somebody mm-hmm. else you know and he's even he even says something like this you know it, it's, it's almost a matter of pride when he and Pagoda are walking around uh, uh, the park and he's like oh you know I've been infi- I, you know I've had my share of infidelities it's true but you know, God damn it, she's my wife, right? And and I mean, there's no there's no, there's no moral consistency here on Royal's part. Um, his his motivations are certainly all wholly subjective, but. Uh, <laughs> But, but Pagoda's going to go along because Pagoda does, for the most part, what, I mean, he mostly seems to think that what uh, Royal thinks is a good idea is a good idea. Yeah, he's he very loyal way to of, yeah. He does have a, Pagoda will have a way of essaying his, his disagreements later on that are that are quite dramatic. But yeah. uh, I, 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 we'll get to that in a bit. But but so they concoct this crazy scheme to get to get Royal back into the house. And that is, I'm dying. Can I come back and stay with oh. you? Well, I mean, the other thing that's also driving Royal in this is that he's just gotten kicked out of a place that he's probably rented uh, a hotel room that he's probably rented on credit since he was kicked out of his house seven, yeah how many years ago yeah out. so he's he's gonna tell them that he's sick and that he, he needs a place to stay and he he confesses his sickness to ethylene and it's it's touching and hilarious and and cringe inducing <laughs> it, it runs throughout the whole it runs the audience through and poor Angelica Houston through every emotional, you know, every, every emotional hoop she's going to, a human can jump through, I think. So I'll, I'll, I'll bring this up right here because this is kind of a theme of the movie. Royal has this tendency to, when he interacts with somebody, he immediately lies and yes. tells them what he wants them to think. And, and then like almost instantly shifts, downshifts and tells the truth. <laughs> And pisses them off. Yes, yes, yes. Well, when he when he tells her that she's dying, or he's dying, and she's really heartbroken for him. She's she's sad for him, you know, and sad. 
I think that her reaction is just kind of a sadness of everything that didn't work out in their yeah. lives. You know what I mean? And here they are back together for a moment where she, a moment where she was about to move on. And then he's telling her that he's dying. And, and there's a lot of reasons why maybe she didn't file for divorce. You know what I mean? Right. And, and there's a lot of reasons why if she did, Royal didn't, you know, grant it or whatever. You know, he didn't need yeah, yeah, yeah. to it. So they've been kind of tethered in this kind of, uh, this kind of holding pattern for years. Right. I just think that there's like decades of emotion in Ethelene's reaction here. And then he kind of, she's having a really rough time of it. And like you said, he tells the truth because he, he sees that she's having a lot of trouble coping with the lie that he just told. And then and then she gets really pissed that <laughs> he, he tells says, oh, the no, truth. I'm not dying. And he fucking clobbers him really hard. And then, and she storms off and then he's like, oh, oh I, I, I am, I am dying. Yeah, and then he goes back to the lie. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then he's kind of comforting her through this, right? And of course she calls Rich. Richie. And he says to the person who takes his telegrams uh, on the boat, send a telegram right away. I, I'll I'll need to get back right away. And so then the whole family's back under one roof pretty shortly after after that. You know, we uh, uh, we forgot to mention that when that when Chaz shows up with his kids, uh, Ethel asks, you know, what, what, why is he here? He's like, well, we got we got locked out of our apartment. And she says, well, did you call a locksmith? And he's like, well, yeah, I did. But she's like, well, how did you manage to pack all of your luggage if you were locked out of the apartment? And realizing that he's 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 busted. He's like not safe over there. <laughs> yeah, we don't have sprinklers there. And yeah, she, yeah, yeah, yeah. She says, she says we don't have sprinklers here either. And he's like, well, that's something we'll have to change, mom. You know, but that's not why he's there. He's there because he's he's having a nervous breakdown. He wants to be near his mom. I think is what he wants. And <laughs> when she says we don't have sprinklers here either, Chaz. <laughs> Almost a duplication of the scene from when they were kids. We have Royal telling them that he's dying, and he says he wants to make amends. But Chaz is having none of it. He's like, well, yeah. Yeah, year, six months, six weeks, what, what, you know, how long we got to deal with you, you know? I mean, he's basically like, hurry up, wrap this up, dad, and we don't, I don't want anything to do with you. And the other, the other siblings have their say too. I can't remember, Margot says some funny things in this scene. Well, because, oh, because I'm sorry, because Royal says, hey, I want to, you know, I want to try and make this up to you. Why don't you guys come with me to, gram to grandma's house, grandmother's grave? And she says, and, and poor Margot says, you never asked me to go when we were kids. And he's like, well, you know, you were adopted. <laughs> she wasn't really your, she wasn't really your grandma. And one of the things that this movie asks all the actors to do is to have their characters say incredibly mean things, mostly in the case of Chaz and Gene Hackman. I'm sorry, Royal Tenenbaum. Those two say a lot of awful things to each other and, you know, to other people. But then you have to, I, I feel so bad for Margot in just about every scene in which she has to interact with her father, right? Yeah. Um, but just, <laughs> he's like, well, she wasn't really your grandma. <laughs> just like, but you can come now. And then, and then Richie says, well, you know, uh, he says, he says the name of Chaz's wife. And he says, uh, is it Rachel, Rachel, Rachel's there too. And Royal says, who? Yeah. It's like my wife. It's like, well, um, we could swing by and see her too. <laughs> and of course that produces the, the justified storming off of Chaz. <laughs> but they all go to the graveyard with Royal, which says a lot, I think, about all of the, about Margot and Chaz, because he takes his kids too. And Royal sets the flowers down on the grave, and then uh, he says, "Oh gosh, we've got another one to visit, don't we? We've got another body, <laughs> another body." And he, 
picks up a handful of the flowers and hands them to Chaz. Well, here, go take those to your wife. And it's it's very funny, but it's also really sad. And the only person who seems to accept Royal as he is is Richie. But, oh, because they were always close. They were close. They, this is the first time I noticed. I've seen this movie a few times, but Richie and Royal have the same haircut. Did you notice that? No. They have the same haircut. It flares out at the back a little bit. Not quite a mullet, but getting close. And uh, I think this might be the scene where uh, where Royal and, and Richie are talking about like, you know, well, gosh, you had a few good years left in you. What happened? And we see the freak out. We don't see why he's having the freak out. No. We, we, we see the breakdown that he had on the tennis, on his final tennis game. And Richie even, it, it says, you know, uh, why he left. Well, no, Royal left early the game early, I think. I can't remember, but they both kind of gave each other some space. And Richie's like, well, I know you don't do well with disappointment, dad, you know. Yeah. And it was not really, there was no recrimination really for Richie there, you know, right. but he wasn't, he wasn't ready to tell his dad why he was freaking out. We know that, but but we, we have the two announcers played by, I think, Owen and Anthony Wilson. Uh, the, yeah. They're like, I've never seen anything like this. He's taken off a shoe and a sock and we just see poor Richie having a nervous breakdown out there on the on the tennis court in the most public and way possible. We also see why. Because, we do, yeah, uh, yeah. because we, Raleigh St. Clair and Margot are in the crowd and I guess they've, they, been married, they've been married. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he doesn't tell his dad why he was freaking out, but we do see why. At the same time, I think maybe my favorite moment in the movie is Chaz's kids are sitting with Margot, who hasn't gone to see grandma. Wasn't her grandma after all. Um, <laughs> and one of the kids says, how'd you lose your finger? And the other brother, raised to be very polite, says, shh. I was like, no, I'll tell you. You know I'm adopted, right? And, and uh, well, when I was 14, I ran away to my, to, and I found my biological family. They were in Indiana, which was a nice moment for me and you, I'm sure. <laughs> but uh, this was not really an Indiana I was familiar with. This was, this was Wes Anderson's uh, magical realism, <laughs> Indiana. It was a, a weird place. So she is a... <laughs> She's hanging out with this farm family. She's still as stylish at, at, in Indiana as she was in New York. And her father says, all right, Sister Margaret, you pick up that pick, piece of hickory and bring it over here. And before her hand is taken away, he swung the axe down and he's chopped off her finger. And my favorite moment is just kind of like the look of stoic disdain that she gives her, her father. Like she doesn't yell at him. She doesn't even make much of a noise. She's like, and she looks at her father and then it cuts to her father. And he looks really like, oh my God, I can't believe I did that. And then the brother, the, I'm sorry, her nephew, says, did you try and sew it back on? And she says, no, it wasn't worth it. <laughs> You're right. But I, I really just kind of thought that was, I mean, it was a great scene. It was a great little moment for a Hoosier. Hoosier audience is something that a, a person from Indiana is called. Does anybody know why? Uh, there's a lot of controversy about that. Well, audience, we'll let you Google that and you come up with your own answer to that do-it-yourself mystery. But so we're seeing some of their neuroses. We find out that their friend, Eli, is, we keep cutting back to him. He yeah. writes Western now. Uh, he's a professor of English literature. He writes books that do very well, but get lukewarm reviews. Right. Um, he's often asked to talk about the Tenenbaums, isn't he, in his interviews? Yeah. I do want to jump back real quick because sure. um, one of the one of the key one of the key relationships in the movie is between uh, Margot and Richie. And uh, a very important scene that we did kind of skip was when when Margot arrives and gets off the bus. Oh my and, God! Yes. And Richie meets her, and and this is all really well done because now I'm going to keep I'm going to keep going back to this the use of music the use of the camera because actually I mean I mean it, I mean it, uh, it, it's quite exaggerated because because uh, uh, Margot gets off the bus and her hair is kind of flowing back and there's this song by the 60s German singer Nico that's 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 playing and 
and Richie is, is is enthralled in seeing her. And we have close-ups of both of them. But their interaction with each other is the same kind of monotone, stoic interaction that these characters have with each other through most of the film. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, one thing that they've learned, and not from their mother, one thing they seem to have learned is to keep an emotional distance from everyone. Yes. Which is too bad for them because the other thing that is almost, that is painfully apparent throughout the film is that they they don't want to be alone. Right. You know, right. And that's that's the that's the that's the the dramatic lever of the film that these people have, have created these eccentric circles around themselves that they would rather not be there, but but they seem locked into these habits of behavior that they keep people at a distance. Yes. One reason why Margot, we, we learn later on, is maybe not as emotionally close to Raleigh is because she's been having affairs on him since before they met. You know, they've, she's been right. cheating on him her whole life. Right, right. And, and, you know, part of that we might explain by the fact that she never wanted to be with him. Right, right. And that, in fact, she never wanted to be with any of the people she was with, not her first husband, not her, who nobody knew about. He was like no. her cigarette habit, you know? Nobody knew about it. <laughs> and not and not Eli either, even though we do no, discover he, that she hooked up with him at one point. Well, And is hooking up with him now that she's back at her parents' house. Right. But before we get to any of that, uh, that is a great moment when they see each other. One of the things that happens in that moment is they have a lot of trouble hiding the fact that they're really happy to see each other. It's not until yeah. they start to get close that they, that they start to erect those emotional barriers again. You know? Right. So she takes him back home and and uh, and they're very cool. Like, Richie is the nicest. He's the least, I think, uh, at arm's length with his emotions of his of his family, I think. Oh, easily. Yeah, I would agree with um, that. Yeah. Like, like he, he loves his father. He loves Chaz. He loves Margot. He loves his mother. He doesn't have any trouble saying those things to people either. You know what I mean? Right. He's, he is that guy in the film who, who doesn't hold their foibles against them right and he's the one who argues to let to let their dying father back in the house you know he in fact he sneaks him in with uh pagoda and uh the person he doesn't realize is a fake doctor but <laughs> so spoiler everybody maybe we already did but but uh royal isn't sick at all he's lying <laughs> to his teeth to, to have a place to stay and to keep uh to keep uh, ethylene from from marrying royal is trying to make some inroads with his family and part of that starts off as his as his scam to keep ethylene from marrying him right he wants to hang out with his grandkids uh the, the Chaz boys who who he can see the writing on the wall because he says to his son you know you gotta let these kids kind of be kids you know um yeah uh it's very it's, it's kind of um royal throughout the film and increasingly as the film goes on suddenly begins trying to play the role yes he abdicated absolutely absolutely and, and he's and really he's not bad at it no they no. they, they just don't want to hear it at this point no but he's he's also he also is bad at it because he is a conniving conniving person because Chaz doesn't want him to hang out with his kids at all and so he contrives to run into the kids and say hey tell your dad you want to meet me why would we do that because you want to meet me and uh and he's like look we're gonna go have fun and uh, we're gonna do crazy things he wants to instill some adventure in the boys right which which is a good thing I think I so mean, I mean he, you're quite he, right about him being conniving but actually a, a lot of what Royal's doing not all of it no 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 but a lot of it is actually kind of noble that even he doesn't discover that till later in the movie. Well, well, Richie even says something about this in in the film. He says he says uh, when he's advocating, when he's voting to have Royal come back and stay with him, he's like, you know, he's lonely. I don't even think he realizes how lonely he is. Yeah, you know. Um, so anyway, <laughs> Royal does know how to twist the knife. Hey, here's what you do: you tell your dad, and then it cuts to the kids. I think mom would want us to meet our grandpa and. <laughs> 
<laughs> Chaz, Chaz looks at them like there's so much suspicion on his face. Yeah. Like, uh. Did they really say this? They're right. You can, that's also on Chaz's face. They're right, right, but but he can almost sense Roy yeah. behind this. His spidey sense is really is really going off. It is, and uh, at the same time, we're getting the rationale from Royal of why he wants to hang out with the kids, and he tells uh, he has this really neat moment where he's hanging out with Ethelene, and he's like, you know, you gotta you gotta make these kids want to bruise the world and be bruised by it. You gotta these kids they're gonna be stunted if they don't get out and do stuff, and you know they gotta go break a leg or something. They gotta hurt themselves. They gotta you know they gotta be you know they've gotta just be aggressive in the world a little bit. Not meanly, but he's he, he, he all this and and Ethelene says, I think that's a terrible idea. And she says, and he says, No, you don't. And and she mustn't because she doesn't stop it. He told I get the sense that he told her what he'd done. Yeah. And then he takes them on a royal Tenenbaum education. And we have a, a wonderful montage uh with Paul Simon's me and Julio down by the schoolyard playing yes. playing over the montage, and it's glorious. It is. He he helps them shoplift, they throw they throw water balloons at cars, they ride a dump truck, uh, they go to a dog fight. I get the sense that they go to a dog fight and uh, they come back late and Chaz is, of course, apoplectic. Yeah. Where have you been? And Royal doesn't think there's much to be alarmed about. The first, I mean, it looks like the kid's gotten scratched on his forehead. One of his kids, uh, Uzi, maybe Ari, I don't remember. The kids have funny names, Uzi and Ari. Um, <laughs> and he's like, what is that on his head? And it looks like a cut. And Royal says, no, I think that's some dog's blood. <laughs> Right. And poor Chaz is is beside himself with rage and worry. Royal is ingratiating himself with Ethelene, you know, because she's she's worried about her kids. There's a really it's a really heartwarming moment where he's interacting with her. I get the sense like, well, gosh, it's too bad you didn't do this 20 years ago. That's the look on her face. Yeah. There was a time where she really enjoyed being around Royal, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That time's sort of gone, but she there's ghosts of it, you know, and she's mm-hmm. seeing one right now. And he's like, you know, you've done a great job with these kids. This is you amazing. And and uh and she's She's also a little skeptical of his buttering up, but but she does like hearing it. And <laughs> this is another one of my great one of the great lines. And he's like, because uh, she's like, well, I don't know if I've done anything. You know, they're they're all back at home. They're all a mess. And he's like, I feel like I failed them. And he's like, oh, well, you didn't fail them. I failed them. More. Well, it's nobody's fault. <laughs> <laughs> He's not willing to say that he was at fault. <laughs> um, not yet. Not yet. And he's slowly starting to needle poor Henry, Danny Glover's character. Yeah. And and he's kind of enjoying the fact that he seems to be winning Ethelene back a little bit. Because, yeah. of course, there's a moment where Ethelene and, 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 and Henry are leaving to go to a show. And she's like, well, I just wish you would be a little nicer to, to uh, Royal. You know, he's having a rough time. He's like, oh, I would be if I thought he was really dying. Yeah. And, and, and that hurts her feelings a little bit. Because she says, well, okay. I think I'm going to stay home tonight. And she doesn't go out with him, right? Right. And Royal loves this. He's really happy about this, you know, because Pagoda informs him of everything. He's like, I got him on the run. Is what is what <laughs> is what Royal says after he hears about this, and he provokes in a really awful way a fight with Henry in the kitchen. Yes, he needles him. He's a little bit racist. Calls him Coltrane. Yep. Um, and the, he clearly was trying to provoke a reaction to make Henry look bad. Yep. And again, the actors in this film are amazing because I feel bad for I feel so bad for Henry in this scene because he is really trying to be the the right guy. Yeah. And and then Hackman is so good at being so awful in this scene yes and then they have a big argument and he knows i mean royal knows he's made henry look bad yeah and but he when when angelica houston i'm sorry when ethelene comes into the room she's like what's going on he's like oh nothing you know we're just a little disagreement and and henry the look on henry's face is like oh i see what you're doing i see what you're doing and sadly for royal henry's a pretty smart guy he 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 immediately 
uh, goes through his medication on top of the fridge, I believe. Yes. And he takes it. It looks like a Tic Tac. <laughs> and he calls he calls Colby, Colby General Hospital, where the doctor who came and gave their deadly prognosis. Great actor, by the way. Uh, the actor's name who played the doctor is uh, a face you'll recognize. He's a character actor, Seymour Castle. Uh, Dusty is, who he, who is his real name. But he, he seems to owe, there are a lot of seedy people who seem to owe royal favors. <laughs> you know, he was a lawyer for some time before... <laughs> we learned this he was disbarred and he did a lot right. of prison and we find out because his son sued him and exposed him to legal jeopardy it was like you know because yes. his son had started a business when he was a young person and royal had embezzled money from it and the judge is like well you know your your father is was legally allowed to sign these checks uh, why are you uh, arguing now that he can't he's like well this is when i first started the business now i'm old enough to not have my father you know be signing checks and it's like okay and he stole a bunch of bonds from me when i was 14 and the judge like kind of looks over at Royal and this is one of my, another great Royal moment where Royal's is like, well, I mean, like he's caught. You know, he has this little, yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> well, uh, you got me. <laughs> and Royal does bring that up later on when uh, Chaz is like, you shot me in the hand. You, is a BB still in my hand? He's like, well, you sent me to prison for six months. <laughs> you know, I'm not holding that against you, you know? <laughs> But anyway, Henry finds out that there actually is no doctor from Colby General Hospital because Colby General Hospital closed down in 1971. Yeah. And he's like, he doesn't have stomach cancer. You don't act, nobody with stomach cancer acts this way. And and nobody eats five cheeseburgers. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. He's like, well, how would you know? He's like, "Uh, my wife died of it. And Royal's like, oh, well, shit. And Royal starts packing (laughs) right away. And and the whole family is really disappointed in Royal as he's packing, you know, because they kind of, he kind of won them over a bit hadn't he by this point don't you think yeah oh totally even Chaz had started to come around a little bit not fully right he, he was critical of of Richie for buying into any of what was going on you know he, he does say you're 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 such a you're such a papa's boy you you crave his attention I think Chaz fundamentally misunderstands Richie Richie's not fooled by his dad I mean he's not even that surprised that his dad was running a scam on him because I, I do think Richie takes all of his family as they are I really like Richie a lot so yeah but so his dad packs up and and as he as he gets everything packed up he says he says this great line where he's like well i have to say you know these past six days have been the best six days of my life and hackman does this acting while the narration goes on that is perfect because we we have to be with hackman in his head when he's in the scene and the narrator says and after he said it he realized he meant it right it was true. yeah yeah he realized this was true and that's i think it's a great moment and gene hackman's acting i mean wes anderson i i imagine had to say so you're going to say this and when you say it you're going to think it's bullshit but after you say it you realize that it's not bullshit and and hackman had to act that without saying a word right and he does it yeah does it and uh and alec baldwin uh does a great job narrating that scene here's a question i just thought of this is the alec baldwin narrator the inspiration for the ron howard narration in arrested development i i think so now i did read that um the creator of arrested development already had the idea for the show and then when he saw the royal tenenbaums he was like oh shit they already you know somebody else did it oh what the hell we'll do it anyway well you know no, so, I'm, glad, I'm glad they decided to because it's a slightly different show but it is also the same but uh anyway i just i wanted to put that to you because i've been thinking that all day and as chad i'm sorry as as royals leaving he says to chad 
as ease up on those boys or this is going to be you someday. Yeah. And that was the first time I thought, you know, Chaz and Royal are actually really similar. I think in some ways they're both kind of mean, mm -hmm. you know, they're both kind of hard on everybody. Right. Is, is Chaz so different from Royal when he's yelling at his kids about how they've all burned to a crisp because they didn't do right. You know, yeah. I think maybe that's one of the reasons, I mean, you could, you could argue, but that's one of the reasons why Chaz and his dad were never as close as Luke and his dad, because Luke and, and Royal are different people. You mean Richie? Well, that's what I meant. I meant Richie, Luke, <laughs> Tenenbaum. I was like, why, why Richie and, 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 and Royal were such good friends, or they, they were close because they were different from each other. Whereas, right. whereas Royal and Chaz are actually, I mean, they're both kind of in the same racket. You know, I mean, right. his, his son's in finance, but he was a finance lawyer. And, you know, he and Margot didn't get along. Well, you know, she was adopted. You know, she wasn't really his kid. <laughs> um, <laughs> but he leaves, and, uh, and this is a great scene. So earlier in the film, we learned how Pagoda ended up in their family. Pagoda had saved him after he'd been stabbed in India. Right. Yeah. And uh, I was like, well, yeah, there was a price on my head and I'd been stabbed when I was in India and Pagoda saved me. And one of the, one of Chaz's kids says, who stabbed you? Well, Pagoda did. <laughs> We don't know why he changed his mind and saved Royal, but since he's gotten, Royal's gotten Pagoda kicked out of the house too. And as they're waiting for their uh, gypsy cab, Pagoda freaks out, pulls out his Swiss army knife and stabs Royal yet again. You bastard! And he stabs him and then he helps him up and helps him into the cab. And then when we see them later, he's stitching Royal up again. Yeah. He's like, you gotta stop. You can't stab me anymore. <laughs> have this little dialogue. But, and then this is pretty much where the family really begins to crash, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, um, I think they, um, I guess we're going to talk a little bit about Margot and Eli. Yes. And, uh, you know, where they have the moment where um, uh, uh, Eli says, oh, I'm, not in love with, I'm not in love with you anymore. But, well, part, says, of, part of that, though, um, it's revealed too. That Eli revealed, did we talk about how Eli revealed to Margot that he that, that, that Richie had he, said that he loved her in a letter? Right. Uh, he told her about it and then she she kind of hinted it to Richie and then Richie, did you did you tell her what I said in the letter? Yeah, yeah I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. So Eli, but yeah, you're right. Eli breaks up with Margot. Margot, but, 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 well, but her reaction is precious. He's like, I'm not in love with you anymore. And I didn't know you were. <laughs> <laughs> yes, because she's just, she's not into him that much either. I mean, she's, she's away for her. He's away for her, I think, to pass a time where she doesn't have to focus on her real emotions. Right, right. At the same time, though, uh, the master psychologist, uh, psychiatrist, uh, Raleigh St. Clair has been suspicious yes. and he has a private investigator looking into her. Also, sorry, earlier, earlier in this, in this part of the movie earlier in the movie Raleigh and Richie hang out a bit right. and for some reason Raleigh thinks he can talk to Richie about his wife which right. is which is brutal I think to watch because we all know that Richie loves Margot right <laughs> there's a great scene where where Raleigh says I think she's cheating on me Richie loses it and punches his fist through his uh, through the window of his uh, area he keeps hawks up on the roof of this building that was all improvised by Luke Wilson by the way it shocked Bruce oh. it, sh it shocked Bill Murray it shocked the director but they kept it in uh, because Luke just Luke Wilson just thought, well, I'll try this and we'll see what happens with it. But he, he punched yeah. through the window. But it, it works. It's a really nice moment. Yeah. And then and then when Raleigh doesn't realize why why Richie's taking such an interest in in this little family drama he's having. But when they're talking to the private investigator, Richie is with him. And for all Raleigh knows, he's there as moral support. But Richie just wants to know who she's with. Right. Yeah. And um, well, uh, and then so um, yeah, he, he provide he provides the information, everything about Margot that you know the child 
child, she bought cigarettes and started smoking at 12 and, you know, escaped school and, you know, married in Jamaica and had affairs with men and women all over the, you know, all over the years. Yes, yes. And then, and then at the end, Raleigh, she smokes. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Uh, and, and then Richie gets up and leaves. And then we get, I think, probably the most harrowing moment in the film when we see Richie kind of confronting this knowledge. Right. And he doesn't know what to do with it. And so he, he he starts to shed his persona, it seems, right? He shaves off his tennis haircut. He takes off his headband. He's been wearing his tennis headband for years. Always People still recognize him because he was he was he was still dressed in his in that spot. And I had forgotten this scene. And as I was watching, I was like, oh, he's kind of I, I thought he's moving on. He's gonna he's decided he's gonna move on. And I I, yeah, I was right about that. I was wrong about the direction. I just thought yeah. I thought he was shedding this painful part of his past. And then he says to as he, he shaves his beard, he cuts all of his hair off and then he says i'm gonna kill myself tomorrow and i was like oh that's a, i didn't expect that and then he must have decided that he was just gonna go ahead and do it right then because he takes the razor out of the razor blade and then we we don't see him cut himself we just see the blood flow and uh yeah and then we see that that poor kid who uh, who's gonna help uh raleigh describe a brand new mental condition finds <laughs> poor richie on the floor and they don't give his scream any sound you know he just runs and then we see the next thing we see is them taking richie into the hospital raleigh's there he's covered in richie's blood and of course all the family comes to see richie at the hospital and in that moment film is all tragedy and drama and it's really well done i, I can't say enough great things about that scene yeah and this whole, vignette, this whole vignette really no and, and there's something else at this point in the film there's a moment and actually I, i'm not sure if it happens yet or if it's already happened well because uh royal was kicked out of the house and he has nowhere to go and he's now working as an elevator operator with Goda and fake doctor dusty yeah dusty there's there's a neat moment that really stuck out to me this time when uh and i can't remember who he's talking to when it might be richie and it, and it might be before this happened yeah but where he says you know why are you working here and he says because i'm broke and i want to prove to your mother that you know that i can do something on my own well it's not just his mother he wants to prove to all of them that he's yeah 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 well, okay that, that well, happens after that happens after okay that happens after yeah. but, uh, but but i mean that's you know involved and all the, yeah, that's right because he he um he does find out what happens and and he Royal's the last person to find out what's happened to his son Richie. Pagoda comes running in and Royal is concerned. He's like he he, he just drops everything. He just got in this job and he says, "Dusty, cover for us. We got to go." And Dusty says, "Sure, I got you covered." And he and Pagoda go to the hospital and they won't let them in, right? Right. Because somebody's put a notice up that that Royal can't go and see his son, right? Right. Right. But before that though, there's this moment where everybody's kind of trying to everybody's asking the recovered Richie questions like what happened you know uh mm. why'd you do it and she says ah why well, it's a little hazy I left a note I left it you know we don't ever see the note we don't ever know what it said right do you get the sense this is I just I, I wonder do you get the sense that that Raleigh read the note I'm not sure because he looks like he doesn't want to talk about it he looks like he knows that like Bill Murray has to navigate a lot that we don't really ever get to understand what's going through his head for me I interpreted it this way he is friends with Richie they're both in love with Margo. He knows that whatever's in that note, it would be best. I think it's about Margo. The note is about Margo. I, I, I love Margo. I can't be with Margo. Right. I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to die. I think that's what I'll, I'd rather do. But his family isn't ready to hear that. It's not, this isn't the moment where he, they should hear that. So Raleigh looks like worried that somebody's going to ask him what was in the note. Right. right? And I, I think that he does like Richie. I don't think he's mad at Richie about this. Oh, well, I mean, I mean, he, he's right with him when he goes he looks, to the uh, hospital. Yeah. He looks, he looks, he looks horrified, you know? Yeah. 
And so, but he looks he looks worried for Richie and not worried for himself in this moment. I th- I thought audience, if you if you have an idea about this, uh, if you know more than we do, if you know Bill Murray, have him email me. But but, but Chaz keeps beating him up about what's in the note right. and he's like what did, what did it say? He's like, oh, it's, you know, I, I don't I don't really remember. You know, was was, was it was it bad? Was it dark? Yeah, it was a suicide <laughs> note. Is what Richie <laughs> says. And just that was a great moment. And everybody in this scene is so good. Angelica Houston is probably every mother in this scene. They all go back out to the waiting room. We have a really brutal interaction between uh, Raleigh and Margot. He asked her for a cigarette. Uh, yeah. Well, first he says, he says, you made a cuckold of me many, many yeah. times. And she says, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to hurt you. And then he, he sort of knows her better now because he hasn't really known her his whole life, I don't think. Yeah. But then he, he does twist the knife a bit in this moment. He's like, can I have a cigarette? And she doesn't want to bring it up because this is her secret. This is her little secret. She doesn't want to let her family know that she smokes, right? right? Right. And uh, he gives her a cigarette. Or she gives him a cigarette. And then he says, au revoir. And he's like, oh, he leaves. And I think that that's to be their divorce. You know, they're going to get paid right. for child. And he's moving on. Sad, obviously. And then she sort of lights a cigarette. And this is the first, Angelica Houston is in her own world right now. And she looks up and she's like, you smoke? How long? <laughs> How long have you been smoking? And she said, and, and she says, 22 years. And the, the grand secret she has kept her whole life produces the following response from ethylene. Well, I think you should. That's all she says. She's not disappointed. She doesn't care. It's not, it's not a big deal, right? Yeah, yeah. But this is this private moment that, that she's kept for herself for some reason. But I like all of this royal rushing to the hospital, not being able to see his son. And when he's outside with Pagoda, he doesn't know what to do. He clearly wants to do something. But then he sees Richie has escaped or checked yeah. himself out. We don't know. But he he just kind of gives his dad a wave and gets in a bus and goes home and finds Margot in his little tent that he's been staying in in the house. And I think this is another really wonderful scene between uh, Gwyneth Paltrow and, and Richie when they're when they're kind of talking and, uh, and they're trying to lead into this this conversation about the suicide attempt, right? Like, how do you navigate right. that? And they kind of navigate it like siblings do a little bit, you know? How many stitches did you get, right? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. You want to see? <laughs> you know? And we see his wounds and they're really horrific and she says that's uh, horrible and, and then they confess to each other the, what they feel for each other, you know? Yeah. And they don't know what to do about it and it was really poignant when uh, she and Richie are talking and she says, do you think you're going to do this again? It's like, I don't think so. <laughs> and uh, this again, meaning the suicide attempt. And when he says, no, I don't think so, she cracks. And it's the first real emotion we see out of her in the whole film. Mm-hmm. I, I just think it's a really important scene. And I, I don't think I, I mean, I think I did notice it the first time I saw it, but it caught me by surprise again, how powerful that moment was and how real that human interaction seemed. How real it seems in this movie that is kind of, kind of embraces its own silliness a lot of the time, but somehow it still manages to kind of grab these absolutely true human moments throughout the whole film. Yes. And, yes. and we've just kind of rattled off several of them in this film that feels like farce and comedy sometimes and that embraces its silliness. I don't know how it does it. I've, I've grappled with Wes Anderson's ability to make me feel serious things through his absurdity. And this film is this film presents plenty of opportunities for that. Yeah, absolutely. Of course, the scene that you're describing ends with where she she kind of she kind of says that they're they're going to have to go on being secretly in love with each other. Yeah, yeah. Of course, that's not something he wants to hear. His next stop, of course, is with uh, Royal. He goes to the elevator, and this is when he has the conversation. He's like, this is when he has the conversation. 
so uh, this is the part that I wanted to point out that that you know you know you know why are you doing this? He's like, well, we're broke, and then he says, and I wanted to prove you know I could you know pay my dues or whatever. Yeah. And and what stuck out to me about that moment is that it's evidence that Royal has changed because this time he starts with the truth. Yes. Then shifts gears and says what he hopes people get out of it. Yeah. And previously in the film he starts with the the um, what he hopes to get out of it and then he just kind of hits people with the truth well not really and now he's doing it the other way he starts off with the truth well yeah. I'm you know we're broke but really I'm you know he's he's interested in proving to everybody that he's trying yeah yeah and then I think uh, well, then they go up to the roof uh, and they have the father son talk right and, and, and it's a really great it's a really great moment where he says oh, dad I think I'm uh, is a dad I need to talk to somebody and when they get up to the to the roof we get Royal's reaction Margo and he's like, yeah, well, how long, son? He's like, well, since forever. And he's like, ooh, isn't that illegal? He's like, well, no, we're not really not really siblings. Like, That's a good point, <laughs> Royal says. <laughs> but it's frowned upon. It's really frowned upon. And then Royal kind of stops himself and is like, you know what? Don't listen to me. Yeah. I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> Right, right. And in fact, I've navigated, basically, Royal's saying, I've navigated every human interaction poorly. Yeah. And if this makes you happy, you know, we'll just deal with it. I mean, that's basically what Royal says. You know, yeah. if you and Margo make each other happy, then then, then we'll deal with it. This is where, where Mordecai comes back. Yeah. His eagle that he let go early on in the film because he didn't think you should keep things in cages, Mordecai's come back. I'm sure there's some symbolism in this. Mordecai has a lot more white hairs and they think that, white feathers, and they think that maybe this is some kind of stress of travel this things he's seen right Mordecai is some kind, somehow a metaphor for all of them I think do you know the real reason for that though I do know the real reason for that but take it away <laughs> now that uh, um, the, the the bird that they were using for Mordecai somebody caught it and uh, asked for money to return him so they just they just got a different bird that had whiter feathers yes yes and so but then they came and then they kind of were able to kind of fill out the that metaphor a little bit more I mean I think that one of the things that you we've seen that metaphor said you know that whole uh not metaphor, but I guess axiom or whatever. If you love something, let it go. And if it comes back, then yada, yada, yada. It's yours. Yeah. It's yours. Yeah. Or it loves you back or whatever. You know, they don't, they don't say that exactly, but the bird sort of stands in for that, that yeah. idea. And then, it, then we go to a uh, Royal throwing rocks at his grandson's windows. Yeah. I, and that's when we get our first heart to heart with Chaz, don't we? Like, why are you doing, he, 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 he asks his dad some questions that he sort of gets somewhat satisfactory answers to. Yeah. And uh, um, well, I mean, but before, before that he also has the heart to heart with margo first oh uh, right 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 royal has the heart to heart with margo can i can i buy you ice cream and yes and so then there's that interaction and then yeah he he, he then goes to talk to to chaz initially chaz um doesn't want to talk to him and then we cut to royal visiting the, the grave of rachel yes yes so because because chaz chaz is not ready to accept him back yet not just yet no then there's the great moment where he catches henry and ethylene with the divorce papers and he's yeah and i didn't i didn't think much of him at first but now i get it he's everything i'm not and and he's not bitter when he says that it's a really nice moment both henry and ethelene are pretty touched by it it looks like well you know i mean at this point it, 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 you know the film almost becomes a frank capra movie it does it does it's true and then they're all then 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 they're, they're gonna have the wedding uh henry and and ethelene simultaneous to all of this is the unraveling of eli 
Yeah. So this sort of side story here is Eli has been sending his press clippings and his grades and everything to Ethelene for years. Right. In fact, when when uh, when he breaks up with Margot, the only thing she's really interested in was like, uh, "Do you send mom your your press clippings? Do you send mom your press clippings and, and stuff?" And he's like, "Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I always like to hear from her. You know." But his success has caused him to really embrace drugs. <laughs> Yeah, Richie tries to intervene in his life and, mm. and help him, and uh, he runs away from Richie and and uh, uh, Royal and Pagoda. <laughs> they try to they try to run an intervention on him, and and Eli uh, breaks for the hills. And we don't. It's kind of a dangling plot thread. We don't really know what he's there for until the day of the wedding. Right. Everybody's gathering around for the wedding. They're helping Henry. They're welcoming Henry into the family, and everybody seems a lot happier. Right. Jazz's kids are down out in front of their you know their brownstone, I think, uh, with the dog on the hillside is a war paint clad Eli who is yeah. whacked out on something. We don't know what. He's flying down the road towards the wedding. He's going to be at the wedding, I guess. Right. Royal sees it. He sees that there's about to be a big bad crash. He looks down and sees the grandkids. He's like, kids, kids, oh no. And then the crash happens and everybody's okay, except for the except little dog. dog. Right. I, I can't remember when, oh yeah, so so I'm sorry, Richie's like, hey, hey, it's okay, it's okay, Chaz. The, the kids are fine, the kids are fine. Dog didn't make it. And right. and uh, and Gene Hackman is every decent father in this scene. It's okay. You know, he's trying to calm Chaz down a little bit. It's all right. It's all right. Uh, no, the kids are fine. Uh, no, we got him out of the way. And he doesn't even say, I did it. I yeah. saved the kids. It's Richie who says, oh, he saved them. Who saved them? Yeah. Dad. Dad got him out of the way. And Richie is, I'm sorry, Chaz is really happy, but then he sees Eli. And then there's this really crazy, weird chase in which the priest who's there gets knocked down some stairs and breaks an ankle. Chaz has an incredibly bad moment uh, where he attacks Eli, throws him over the fence and then uh, turns around after his incredible savagery and sees everybody in the family kind of like looking at him like, what are you doing? You know? Right. And then, and then he, <laughs> he hops over the fence and lays down beside the person who he's just attacked who's laying down and Eli's like, uh, they lay down next to each other and Eli says, oh God, is everybody okay? Did I, are the kids okay? Did I kill anybody? He's like, no, you're fine. Everybody's fine. And Eli says, I need help. And then and then Chas says, I do too. <laughs> and and so Simultaneously, there's this great moment where Henry and and uh, Royal go to the next door neighbor and to collect the boys. And he's like, hey, you know, Henry, I just want to, look, I'm kind of an asshole. That's sort of what I do. But I really feel bad if you could never forgive me, you know, for being an asshole. And 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 he and Henry have a bit of a reconciliation. He's like, oh, I don't think you're an asshole. I just think you're a son of a bitch. I, I, that means a lot to me. <laughs> that means a lot to me. And then they knock on the door of the woman who owns the next door house. And uh, it's an old Japanese lady. And he's like, could you let us into your backyard we've got a, a couple of our boys are over there she lets them in and you're right this kind of whole thing wraps up a little bit like a capper movie he gets the kid a dalmatian yep. the fire person's dalmatian which is kind of interesting because this kind of goes back to the fact that uh chaz also invented dalmatian mice yes so, yes and uh, these mice are all over the house which prompts uh which which prompts uh royal to say can we get an exterminator in here to get rid of these things and and margo's <laughs> like you can't do that those are those are chaz's or he invented them anyway yeah <laughs> you know? But but he gets the kids a Dalmatian and he and Chaz finally have the moment yeah. where uh, where he says uh, here I got the, I got you guys I got your kids a new dog I was like thanks Dad I've had a really rough year yeah. and he says I know son and that's sort of the beginning of the reconciliation and then we get another great montage of Chaz Royal and the boys cutting up and being crazy yeah yeah and then of course we get Royal's death at the end of the movie and Chaz is the one who's there yeah his, his father had a, a heart attack we only hear we just see 
see them acting through this. And Chaz was the one with him in the ambulance. And what's kind of nice about that, I think, is that uh, Royal gives his son a smile as they're headed to the hospital, right? Well, and I think it kind of solidifies what you said earlier, that actually the two of them actually were the most alike. Yeah. There's something kind of fitting about it. I think so. Uh, And I love the funeral, too. Uh, They go to the funeral. Everybody's there. And Royal has had some specific instructions for his tombstone. (laughs) And and, and the, the tombstone reads, it causes the priest to take a have a double take died tragically while saving his his family from a sinking ship. battleship a sink, yeah. a sinking battleship which is sort of what happened you know it, it is absolutely true because actually royal royal saves himself yes. but he saves every he saves everybody else too royal tenenbaum is the hero of the movie it's true it's true and it was touch and go there for a lot of the film <laughs> uh it's I, I I found that I just found the the film to be really rewarding and every note of the of the of the piece. Is there anything else to say? Anything you want to add to it? Like, well, I mean, I mean, I mean, the funerals is yeah you know, because the kids do a uh, twenty one gun salute with the BBs yes, and yes. Uh, and and they play um, uh, Van Morrison. Everyone, yeah, which yeah, works which works really well. And and Richie's the last one. Yeah, I leave the and he and he and he, he he put throws a rose down into the uh, into the grave and kind of walks off and um and then i believe pagoda closes the gate pagoda closes the and gate and we yeah. see tenenbaum now i i've seen this on youtube and i think i read somewhere that they considered instead of using um everyone by um by van morrison they considered using sloop john b by the beach boy okay which is a song about a boat okay which actually would have tied to the to the the message on the on the stone yeah. which we forgot to mention earlier in the movie uh he sees a grave stone and he's like you know oh it's a great stone which was mine yeah 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 well, he, he um, about rachel's doesn't he uh maybe i i actually can't remember that but 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 i mean really when the camera pans around it, it's interesting richie and Margot are together yeah well that's something that's been happening as the film closes we see more and more of them together and it is really sweet to watch yeah. to watch them just kind of go ahead and be who they are together you know what i mean yeah yeah, yeah. and i thought gwyneth paltrow was priceless in these scenes Everyone in this movie is perfect. It's true. It's now, true. Now that's, I, I mean, obviously when you have a great director who knows exactly what he wants and Wes Anderson is that. Yes. If nothing else. And the movie was cast perfectly, which by the way, he wrote the role of Royal Tenenbaum with Gene Hackman in mind. Now, do you know who they, who another actor they asked to do the role? Michael Caine. Did they really? Yep. Well, I didn't know that, but I know that they offered it to Gene Wilder too. Oh, wow. But he, I, from what I, from what I've read, it seemed like he liked the script but he wasn't going to go back on his retirement. Once he had said he was retired, he was pretty... He was which, is now, which is now Gene Hackman's commitment. I, I could see Gene Wilder doing that. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I think he would have been actually really good. But I, I don't think anybody could have been better than, than Gene Hackman in that movie. Michael oh, Caine Gene... would have been great. He would have been great, obviously, but... Well, this, this film is one of... Um, I mean, Gene Hackman did not expect it, but this is one of the handful of signature performances of his career. Absolutely. No, I mean, it, it's up there with the with all of his films i mean his best films i think unforgiven the french connection yep mississippi burning yeah i mean those are the ones that people always talk about as the conversation being his best conversation uh films being his best performance this is um this is this is up there oh this i is- I, I agree i agree and 
the verdict. The Royal Tenenbaums from 2001 is uh, a, a classic film, well worth watching. It's funny, it's heartwarming, it's touching. It, it almost inhabits several genres, which you almost have to kind of see for yourself uh, to believe. But it's it's marvelously acted. The music is 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 perfect. Both the the individual music cues and the pop songs that are chosen throughout the film. Uh, it's perfectly photographed. Uh, this is this is a perfect comedy. It might not be uh, for the tastes of everyone, um, but it should be. And I, I I would recommend it to everybody. This is this is a a great great film. Uh, and now for my verdict, I uh, I suppose I'll approach this uh, kind of ninety degrees to the verdict. When we watched this, when I watched this film today, I I sort of wanted to call the film off and take it out of our roster. Oh, because I didn't want to talk about it with the audience. Hmm. I uh, I kind of wanted this film to be my private thing. I kind of feel that way about all my Wes Anderson films. I don't know why, but I didn't want to share it with you guys, hmm. with with the audience. I find the film to be really touching. I said this to a, a good friend of mine once that, that Wes Anderson makes these fictional tales that seem to have a lot of truth in them. And uh, anyway, I didn't want to talk to the audience about what I thought about the movie. But anyway, I have to agree with Jason about all the shit that he just said, but you didn't hear it from me. <laughs> And that's the verdict. Uh, Jason, what are we covering next week? Uh, next week, we are going to begin a new odyssey uh, uh, in honor oh, of I the- love Homer. <laughs> Different Odyssey. Oh, oh sorry. Uh, um, but we do have we do have monster baddies, as you would find in Homer. We actually uh, we're going to begin a new adventure. We're going to tackle another series in 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 honor of the pending release of uh, Godzilla versus Kong, which actually will probably be in theaters by the time you hear these reviews. We are going to review the Godzilla the current Godzilla series, beginning with Godzilla from 2014, starring Godzilla. Yeah, he came out of retirement just to do this movie. He hadn't been in a film since, uh, well, he's been in a lot of films, but he was taking a little hiatus and now he's back. Haven't he? He bulked up a lot. He did bulk up a lot. He uh, he, he must have went to the Zack Snyder school of, of, of filmmaking and they, they, they got like a whole fitness program for him. All right. So everybody, that's the, that's the podcast. Share us on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram, on the social medias. Give us a five-star review at Apple Podcasts. Email us at lordmovies39 at gmail.com or fucking don't you guys don't seem to be doing that comment at podbean where our our podcast is hosted if you like or you know comment at me at, on twitter uh, the supper test where where i share this podcast jason have you seen anything that people need to see anything you want to recommend uh i would uh recommend the snyder cut of uh, justice league very very surprisingly not a film that i actually thought that i was going to enjoy but i did i would recommend that you guys start on falcon and winter soldier i like the first episode a lot uh, i watch i watch that as well and that's better <laughs> that's better all right yeah. so all right guys we'll see you next week Bye-bye. bye bye